Welcome to Everything Imaginable, the podcast for curious minds from KGRA Radio. And here is your host, Gary Cochilillo. Welcome everyone to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I'm your host, Gary Cochilillo, and today we have David Ellis and Darcy. Uh, Darcy, do you have a last name? Weir. Yeah, Darcy, Darcy Weir. Weir. Kind of like Bob Weir of the Grateful Dead. Um, That's right. Or so, Peter Weir, famous director. <laughs> yeah. And um, we have he has made a documentary called The Unwanted Sasquatch 2020. And it is the best Bigfoot documentary that I have watched so far in the year of 2021. Although today's only January 5th. So thanks for coming on, guys. Hey, thanks. And that's a great compliment. (laughs) (laughs) No, it really is awesome. I mean, I just got sucked right into it. You know, the the footage, the evidence, um, the scope of it, that you really took it beyond, you know, the Olympic project and really go worldwide with it into Russia and um, China. Uh, and yeah, you're talking about uh, Sasquatch Among Wildmen, the latest one, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. I didn't know there was two. That's all good. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, the first one came out. Uh, I just had it re-released as a director's cut. Um, that's the one you mentioned on the, in the intro here, mm-hmm. the unwanted Sasquatch. But the second one, which the Olympic Project is a part of, David Ellis, who's with us tonight, uh, yeah, that's Sasquatch Among Wild Men. And we kind of look at all of the evidence of relic hominids or cryptids that are like Sasquatch existing around the world. All right. So, I mean, I'm not even going to ask like the question, like, is Sasquatch re- real? Because I think that's just a ridiculous question. I mean, obviously, there is something out there that we don't know what it is. Correct. I mean, I think that question, we don't know what it is, is or that that sort of answer to the question is more of a mainstream science, Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, skeptics sort of standpoint on this subject. I think it's if you talk to somebody like Dr. Jeffrey Meldrum or David Ellis mm-hmm. or myself, um, we're going to say we're pretty sure we know what it is, which is it's an upright ape, some some kind of um, animal that is very elusive and there's quite possibly a scarce population of them still existing around North America, parts of Russia, right into China, um, you know, and they have their local adaptations. So uh, meaning they've evolved to the different parts of the world that they live in, uh, just like humans do. Mm -hmm. You know, a Chinese man looks different from a Caucasian man, looks different from a... uh, african-american man yada 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 every adaptation that we have is going to be similar to some degree for these beings we 
theorize in the documentary um, that they're linked, though, that they're related, because by all accounts that come in, um, they seem to fit the same sort of descriptions, you know, anywhere between eight feet to six feet tall, uh, covered in hair, brown sometimes, sometimes red, sometimes dark black, uh, has the capability of eye, uh, eye shine, which... Mm -hmm. Uh, indicates they have uh, night vision, which humans right. don't have. Uh, Mid-tarsal break in the foot, meaning it when it walks, its foot bends back at the lower, at the heel, basically, rather than uh, at the toes is where we bend our feet. Um, yeah, and just all kinds of other interesting uh morphology to the to these creatures which is different from a human being some people state that these uh sightings they have they notice a cone-shaped head mm -hmm. you see that on the patterson gimlin film yes it's it's noticeable in other video clips and uh, some video clips i've included in my documentaries you can see a cone-shaped head um which i don't think a lot of humans have um, <laughs> and so, yeah, I think, I think we do know what it is. Um, but for some people, they want more and the mainstream scientific community are those people. They want more, which means they want a body on a table, you know, mm -hmm. laid out in front of them. So, so you think is, it's more of a, like an undiscovered or some kind of evolved ape rather than like a gigantopithecus type of theory? I, um, I appreciate the gigantopithecus type of theory. I think that has legs. Um, some people say Australopithecus. Um, in this documentary, we say maybe, um, you know, the sightings of the Orang Pendek that's in Indonesia mm. and that part of Asia is actually a homo florensis, right? Which we found plenty of body parts for uh, recently, you know, in, in the, the 2000s. Yes. Um, and we know that they went extinct around 25,000 years ago. To put into perspective where we sit in terms of uh, how long we've been walking around the planet, uh, 500 to 250,000 years ago is when they start seeing Homo sapiens. So that means that if Homo florensis showed up, um, some it has been around since 25,000 years ago, uh, it means that people in Asia have been bumping into the, this thing for thousands of years. And um, I think it's very credible that that exists. I think it's very credible that the Sasquatch or Bigfoot, which is the same creature, exists in North America. The Almasty in Russia, it's very possible that that exists. Um, and in Russia, they also just have their own Yeti, which is basically a Bigfoot or Sasquatch. Mm -hmm. we, we would assume that they're all related because... You know, depending on how far back you go, the continents were connected by the 
Bering Land Bridge, the ice bridge that connected that part of the world, Asia and Russia, to North America. Yeah. Um, the bear population that we have in North America, everybody doesn't really understand, but that that the, the bears that we have came from Asia and Russia. Mm-hmm. That's that's the true origin. And they came across the ice bridge. So it's very possible that if we have Sasquatch here, they may have come across the ice bridge as well. And they're trapped on our continental uh, connection. But back in Russia and China, where they're seeing the Yeren, the Yeti, the Almasty, these may be relic hominids that still exist there that, you know, um, didn't make that that journey over here. So that's kind of the working theory. It sounds like a good theory to me. I mean, from my understanding that even like Native Americans um, had like, have like Mongolian DNA in them. Yeah, that's right. And I mean, you can see uh, if the the Islanders, the Pacific Islanders, um, their features change quite a bit. And then you come to Native Canadians and the indigenous peoples of the United States and even up in Alaska, the Inuits, their facial features all are very similar. Their skin pigment is very similar, right? right. Um, and there is that theory that um, the first settlers, the first people that came to the Americas was actually Asians, mm-hmm. right? Absolutely. So that makes sense. They were just separated and uh, they adapted locally uh, and changed a little bit. Mm-hmm. I mean, they could have even all came together, you know, the uh, Sasquatches and the, the humans could have. Very possibly. We know mammoths, followed. we know even mammoths, you know, crossed um, that continental divide. So uh, if if these massive creatures could have made the journey, why couldn't we or a upright like ape that um, we're discussing tonight? Absolutely. Um, so in your, uh, documentary, how did you, how did you gather some of the evidence that you have in there? I mean, some of that footage is just amazing. It's some of the best footage I've seen. Thanks. Yeah. So basically through research, Mm -hmm. you know, trying to find everything that was related to what is going on out there, you know, Uh, it took over a year of research. Um, and I was kind of editing and finding the story as I went. And, um, it was actually in 2019 where I first went out to meet with Shane Corson and, uh, David Ellis at a, uh, convention. I, I, you know, back when you could actually meet up before COVID beat the world up. Um, We went to a convention, uh, the one that I met them the second time at was Sasquatch Summit. Is that right, David? Um, I believe you met us at the summit at Ocean Shores, which would have been the first one in November. Um, The second one, I believe, is in Longview, Washington, um, that you're referencing. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And... um, 
Yeah, you're totally correct. And so, you know, once, once my research led me to these guys and I saw what they were doing, which was, um, all kinds of things like everything surrounding collection of data to prove the existence of these creatures. Um, for example, David, he relies on his ear mm-hmm. and he, he's come across prints and done plaster casts and, and taken part in the usual um, Bigfoot or Sasquatch uh, data analysis techniques, but he went even further. He's advanced it by taking a spy on radio dish into um, or audio dish, I guess you would call it into the forest when they're doing their expeditions to listen to far off um, vocalizations, interactions, including wood knocks and rock clacks and stuff like that. And they've actually successfully collected a ton of interactions. He also analyzes um, incredible amounts of of, uh, audio vocalizations and interactions that come from across North America, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, even as far as North Carolina there, we reviewed some audio in this documentary and his library of these interactions is extensive. It's quite vast. Um, But then you've got the other guys like Shane Corson and they stumbled upon in the forest, what looks like a, habitat like a community that had been sleeping in these ground nests Mm -hmm. that are woven with huckleberry bush branches and they're massive you know they're like the size of a queen size bed or something but they're uh well off the ground and they're they look like when a human lies in them they look like a giant bird's nest you know what i mean yeah yeah i was i was checking that out you know I, th- I guess it was on Expedition Bigfoot, like the first season too. They had found some nests too. It's really interesting, and, and the hair too is interesting because it seems like a lot of times when the hair when when hair is being found, it's either coming up as unknown or human. Yeah, yeah, and um, the incredible thing uh, to do with these guys finding these nests is that. Over in China, completely separate researchers, completely, um, you know, uncoordinated, not even knowing each other or the data that they're collecting, had found what looked like Yaren nests. Uh-huh. So uh, these ground nests that, you know, obviously were some kind of sleeping purpose. And the Yaren researcher took samples from around there, found hair. And when that was sent off to a lab, they said it was human-like, but um, not conclusively human, you know? Mm-hmm. And the, the thing that Jeff Meldrum has said is that, you know, a ape, a great ape, their DNA is 
identical to ours. Think about that. 1% <laughs> off, right? It's crazy. And if that's like not almost close to perfect, tell me what isn't. That means that you and I are almost apes. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. <laughs> and and quite honestly, we are. We we are hominids still. We're mm-hmm. just less hairy, uh, more evolved in the brain apes. And um, we've done well to conquer the world because we're best fit to do that. But that 1% that separates us is what will constantly push results like that in a, in a DNA test. That means that even if you ripped the hair right off of a Sasquatch and it ran off and you ran the other way screaming, and then you went to a scientist and said, check this out. I, I found Sasquatch hair. I literally ripped it right off of the, the freaking thing. I promise you this is real. I saw it, yada, yada, yada. They'd say, okay, let me take it through its tests. Well, mm. they do those tests. It'll come up as human-like. You know what I mean? Yes. So um, that is the real challenge. I think that's one of the biggest challenges. And that's why the mainstream scientific community will want a, a body on a table. Mm. That could be tough if they bury their dead. <laughs> yes it is that's true <laughs> so so the vocalizations um i had interviewed uh ron moorhead yes and, and, ron uh, is part of the olympic project yes and um and, and obviously he's has quite a collection of vocalizations that he's uh, uh put out um what is how do you tell like i was watched part of like when you guys were Throwing, showing the vocalizations and the uh, you know like the frequency spectrum, right? The it. spectrograms. Yeah. Um, how much different on a spectrogram is like a vocalizations that you guys are recording from a Bigfoot compared to that of a human? Can can a human actually reach those levels? Well, well, okay. You got several questions packed in there. Okay, <laughs> um, but the. Um, I never tell people that I've recorded a Sasquatch because it's still, you know, there's still a part of it that's that's unknown. We just don't know if they exist scientifically. Um, now, what we do, or what I do specifically, is I look at the audio in a, as you mentioned, in a spectrogram and look for a sound print, if you will. You know, like a fingerprint? Yes. Um, so each um, person has their own signature. Uh, each uh, sound can be unique and interesting, but there also are similar patterns. For instance, a coyote is has a similar pattern from one coyote to the next, but they may have just a slight little variation. Mm-hmm. But it's not enough to say, well, that's not a coyote. So what I do is I compare my my suspicious sounds to known creatures and try to eliminate the suspiciousness of the vocalization. And when I cannot, and when I cannot say that it is what um, most people would think it is, let's say a coyote or a wolf or 
something else, a dog maybe, um, then it, it goes into a, a pile of being suspicious and stays there until I can say, well, okay, here's the match that mm -hmm. says it's it, it's a coyote. A coyote can make this vocalization. So it has a uh, its own unique imprint that I follow and I start looking for those. And I have a collection of maybe um, 25, 30 different types of vocalizations from around the country that I've recorded here that have also been recorded someplace else that don't match known creatures. Wow. Would you be able to play one now on the computer so we could hear it? Um, I'm not certain how we can do that, unfortunately. Yeah, I'm not too certain either. Do you have... Um... <laughs> Do you have speakers on your, your computer I'm, there? I, I do, but I'm also plugged in with my headphones into that speaker jack to do the uh, program. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, yeah so, so I probably wouldn't work on mine either then. No, you would have, uh, we would have need, needed to send them uh, uh, the audio clips to you. I have them, but even if I played them, I run through headphones, so I don't think it would work. You might have to run, if you can change your external playing device, like if you change it to speakers, mm -hmm. but leave your microphone on, then the audio that you're hearing will play through your speakers. And Dave and I can mute our mics while you play that sound through your speakers, but leave your mic on. You know um, what I mean? If you go to Zoom here, and you go to your settings where your audio settings, then you can change speakers. the speaker to be. All right. Let me see. Let me first get to the files. Cool. Let's see if we can play them. So with this, while I'm looking, uh, when you collect these samples, do they go into a database and are you able to compare them? in like a database, like run it through and identify certain sounds, what they are and what they aren't? Dave? Did we lose them? I don't know. I don't think so. I'm sorry, I had my mic muted. <laughs> <laughs> I was talking away and sorry about that. <laughs> you didn't oh, lose good, me. Man. <laughs> Darcy said, if we mute our mic, so I went ahead and did that. <laughs> <laughs> so um, let's see, do you want to ask that question again? <laughs> um, do you have like a database of, of these sounds of like what, what you know, things that are known I, in nature? So you can I have compare. my own, I have my own personal database. And then I have some collections of uh, audio that I kind of keep on hand. But I use the Macaulay Library of Sound as the go-to um, third-party, uh, third disinterested third-party um, to uh, compare my sounds to. So they have file numbers and, and case numbers. And if I find a match, then I say it matches this particular file number. And so somebody else can go to that file and then uh, compare the sound. Now. I also, uh, when I analyze for other people, I'll do that, but I'll also make a recording of the known uh, so that uh, they can they can see for themselves 
oh, oh, that's an owl, you know, that kind of a thing. All right, so I think I have something here. Wait, it says L.A. Marzul. I know that guy. I don't think that's our recording. No. Oh. Yeah, that's not mine. Jesus, what am I looking at? But yeah, it's in your files. Maybe I don't have it. I don't know what Michelle has sent me here. Here's a hound comparison. It's that's so what nice. you want, yeah. Let me see if I can put this on a speaker. So just if you pop off your headset for a second mm -hmm. there, you'll be able to switch your uh, your. I'm plugged into a digital recorder, so it probably. Ah, all righty, brother. Oh well, I tried. You tried. Yeah. What I'll do is maybe I can edit it in later. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> but so, Dave, so, Dave, so if you want to, wanna, yeah, if you want to tell me the name of the file that you we're talking about i may be able to add something that you'll be able to cut in uh it is called how to seven 2007 uh 150 231 comparison sl2 okay um i believe that's um the recording that uh i recorded uh in a location near mount rainier and um I had, it is very similar to, if you're familiar with uh, Bigfoot lore, if I said the Ohio howl, um, that resonates with a lot of uh, Bigfoot folks, but it's, it's a recording that was captured um, in, uh, in, in Ohio. Mm -hmm. And uh, my recording compared to it quite a bit. And then there was another investigator uh, from the BFRO, Charlie Page, that actually captured another recording of the Ohio Howl. And so I was comparing mine to his and they sound almost identical. And, and how did he look on the spectrograph? The same. Exactly. And not exactly um, because your voice and my voice wouldn't look exactly alike, right. but it would be in the same range, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, do, do the... How about coyotes? Do, do you think like coyote howls are ever mistaken for? for oh, absolutely. Coyotes? You, you bet. <laughs> All the time. Yeah. And, um, but there are some things that, um, that are distinguishable visually that um, make it not coyote. And it's typically in the range that they resonate mm -hmm. um, and the length of the howl and the, the thickness of the howl. Um, coyotes usually have um, a little bark before they start to to vocalize that's completely missing um, there's also something that's called uh, an attenuated fundamental which 
means that there's a signatures missing. And I don't want to cross everybody's eyes trying to explain what that means. But <laughs> it is a signature that um, I specifically look for because it seems to be inherent in a suspicious vocal. Okay. Um, how about the chatter? Like one of the things I like I know that Ron had <laughs> recorded was sort of like Bigfoot's like like chattering, almost like talking to each other. Recorded quite a bit of that through the witnesses that I've worked with. Not necessarily exactly like the chatter that Ron has recorded. Um, I've only actually recorded something like his once, but I have recorded something like what he has recorded. Mm -hmm. um, but it is definitely voice-like, uh, but it is um, not the visual pattern that you would see in a human voice. Right. It is a different pattern. It has different um, highlights to it that distinguish it from being human. Um, and that's just through my visual process. There are other um, software capable um, uh, that folks use that can identify ranges um, that would mean that it's not made by a human that is in a different range. We just don't have that vocal capability. I believe Ron Moorhead has had several different um, studies done on it, um, on his recordings that uh, show that it's out of the realm of human capability. Um, what I look for are distinguishing prints that show that it's not a human. Right. Um, another multi-layered question. Okay. Um, Do I need to take notes, Gary? No. no okay. Um, with the howls and, and the chatter, um, do they resemble anything that we know exists? Like apes or orangutans, gorillas? Oh, great question. You must have seen the documentary. I must have, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, there are. Um, there is a, uh, a a baboon bark, if you will. That's what it's called. It's called the Wahoo baboon bark. And um, I, I stumbled across that on an inf internet information search for Daniel Boone, who had supposedly killed, air quotes, a Yahoo. And when I heard uh, the baboon bark, the name was Wahoo. I went, no, that can't be. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I listened to it, and uh, lo and behold, I had recorded numerous uh, places in Washington State um, that specific vocalization, and also have received from other witnesses that specific vocalization from about five or six different locations across North America. So that means that there is a lexicon, which is a grouping of sounds um, that some um, creature is utilizing and seems to be inherent in their vocabulary. Hmm. Is that also true with the, uh, with the chatter sounds? Um, the chatter, it, it seems to be uh, a, an interesting pattern. 
um, but not necessarily the same, if I can use this term, language from one location to the next. They seem to have different vernaculars, if I could use that mm -hmm. term. <laughs> but um, there is this, like you said, chatter type, um, fast pace, uh, staccato type language uh, that is used. And then there is also something that, uh, a pattern that I've discovered that seems to fit um, uh, an, another known primate, the orangutan, right. uh, has the ability to do clicks and pops and tongue um, uh, percussive sounds. Mm -hmm. And um, what the handlers of this one specific orangutan, uh, Tilda, in Germany, they the handlers uh, discovered that she seemed to be mimicking human speech by using certain sounds for vowels and certain sounds for consonants and um, in the form of a speech pattern. Well, I've recorded that um, and so have others across the country. It's something that hardly anybody is looking for. But when somebody says, oh, could you look at this whoop or could you look at this this would knock, or could you look at this other howl here? I'll listen to the whole recording. And sometimes I will find in that recording this specific lexicon of sounds that um, I'm aware of that nobody else is looking for. So it's interesting when you can have like three or four different types of things that you can associate with Sasquatch um, recorded. And um, it, it strengthens the possibility that really there is something out there that is making these sounds that we don't know about. It's interesting. When I, when I kind of put together, like, you know, the, the timeline of some of these events and, and what we have, do you think it is possible that, that, that there was a time when, 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 when these, um, whatever these Sasqu Sasquatches are, the primates, maybe have learned a little bit from humans? I, yes, I believe that the, that is possible. I have several recordings, not several, that means a, a very few. I have quite a few actually recordings of uh, mimicry, specifically calling out names. And about the only thing that can do that, that, uh, that I'm aware of is uh, a, a few birds. Um, Ravens or crows are capable of speech patterns, um, but we're talking about in the dead of night right. when we probably aren't, we could probably rule out ravens and crows. It's, it's really wild to think that they picked this up, you know, thousands and thousands of years ago from maybe living alongside humans. Sure. And, and at some point they kind of, felt the need to go their own way to get away from I think from mim mimicry is the first form of speech. Yeah. I remember when I was very, well, I don't remember, I was told. <laughs> I remember what I was told. When I was very small and learning to talk, um, my grandparents had a farm. And when I would come to the farm, they would always ask me, well, what does a chicken sound like? What does a cow sound like? And I it was my cue to mm -hmm. make the sound. <laughs> that was, you know, appropriate for the creature that they said, what does it sound like? So, um, you know, 
I, th I think we're taught to, to to mimic our environment and and to learn things, and uh, it seems to be the case that uh, I have recorded some mimicry. Wow, it's, it's just amazing that they they. Um, it, it just kind of blows my mind that the, that something must have occurred to cause this species to start avoiding humans, but yet they still somehow remember how to mimic us because obviously they're not like you know hanging out watching game of thrones trying to learn how to speak english um i think th that there is certain strategies that they uh utilize now this is subjective opinion so mm -hmm. i need to qualify this that um that are used strategies that are used to to, to be ordinary sounds or sounds that we are familiar with in our environment, but they still have the capability of going, oh, that's that's not a dog, that's uh, that's uh, Paul over there. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and also it's a great strategy because we're, we're not uh, thinking in terms of them uh, being able to do that, one number one, and so it gives them the ability to communicate without us uh, kind of being up on what's going on. Yeah. And um, with the wood knocks and the uh, like, you know, clacking rocks together, what is what do you think that is? Is that a way? I, I mean, when I hear think of it, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing it's a warning system. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and yeah. there's several different meanings for lots of different uh, scenarios. Um, it's uh, can be as simple as uh, "Where are you? Mm -hmm. I'm over here." It can be um, one of the things that I noticed when I was going into certain study areas that it seems like if they were there, they would announce our presence with a wood knock, and when we were leaving and making our leaving sounds at our car we would get announced again like you know hey they're they're leaving <clears throat> so do you, you think they want to be found or they just want us to go away <laughs> probably <laughs> uh, yeah i'll jump in uh <laughs> probably not i don't think they want to be found um if you think about human beings and how violent we are towards every animal that we come across, you know, it's a tradition to pick up a rifle and go into the forest and shoot a deer, which is probably the most harmless animal towards humans there is, uh, or, or a raccoon or a squirrel. Like it just, we're basically merchants of death. Um, I would say, they're not interested in 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 us uh, that much. I mean, they're obviously through the accounts over the years that many people have testified to having a sighting. It points to there being some curiosity. Um, my friend and and somebody who I uh, interviewed for my first documentary, Thomas Steenberg. He wrote a few books on um, encounters that happened in Canada, in British Columbia and Alberta. And one of them was a couple that was on a campground. 
Um, they were sitting, you know, around their fire pit or what have you near their tent. And all of a sudden it was, you know, broad daylight. They had a, a fishing line that was hanging from a tree and it had a few salmon that was hanging there. And they saw this thing that was reported to be, I guess, nine feet tall, pretty huge, walked right up, grabbed the fishing line, turned around, turned away and walked as fast as it could. And they proceeded to stand up, pack their things, get in their car and drive away because (laughs) they were like, what the, what the hell was that? You know, it was massive. It looked quite dangerous, you know, Mm -hmm. larger than a bear. It just took their fish, but that was the catalyst to that interaction. It was a food, food source that this thing wanted. And, um, and yeah, so I, I don't, I think a lot of the interactions that we hear about, it's, um, sometimes aggression, you know, or communication through throwing of rocks, wood clacks or rock clacks, wood knocks, um, kind of saying, you know, we're here. Um, and, you know, David would also probably communicate that that means they're here like humans. So it's maybe a warning to other of these creatures in the area. Um, I don't know much about the, the vocalizations other than uh, it could be a, sh- a sign of dominance. You know, if you look at the Wahoo baboon bark, um, that's, that's obviously a communication that it's trying to say to something in the distance, I'm here, beware, you know, um, and seems quite aggressive, but it, it may not even be. Um, but, you know, I was on a show the other day with uh, Dr. Meldrum, and he was talking about um, how primates use tools. You know, they they take a, a stick and they put it into the ground and they pull out a bunch of termites, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so they have learned from other chimpanzees the, the this type of primate behavior comes from chimpanzees they have chimpanzees have learned from other chimpanzees how to do that um if we extend that to this type of primate that may exist we're saying they must have some kind of tribal community and in that they must share information and learn from each other um, on a simple sort of basis, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that includes the vocalizations and stuff we're, we're talking about. Uh, that may involve weaving nests and creating a sleeping area. Um, and the Olympic project has, you know, bared fruit that, that many other research groups hasn't. So I think that's pretty incredible from from a scientific standpoint they're doing things that is really important to proving the existence of this elusive creature um 
I wonder, I have a question for you, David. Is anybody in the uh, Olympic project um, looking at these structures that look like sort of trees knocked over that, um, you know, some, some researchers have alluded to that being Bigfoot or Sasquatch structures. Do you know what I'm talking about? Where it looks like almost like yeah. a three three stick TP or something. Sure. No, I um, have seen quite a few structures myself. Um, what we, you know, there's uh, many different things that can happen in the woods. Um, things can fall together, um, and, and that sort of thing. Uh, I'm not saying that structures aren't made um, and created by Sasquatch. The, the issue for us as a whole, the Olympic project becomes, how do we prove that? And so it's, it's one of those things where, you know, you can, I personally take note of those kinds of things when I'm in an, in an area. I make a mental note, but it doesn't go any further um, down the road than that, um, because you just, uh, you know, science requires a lot more evidence before you can venture out and say that the stick structures are are created um, by by a Bigfoot. Um, maybe they are, maybe they aren't, um, and it, each scenario is um, different. So again, I'm not here to disqualify anybody that follows the structure, a, a teepee structure or um, wood structures, because I, I do personally take an interest in them. Um, but like I said, as a whole, as, as the Olympic project, uh, we can't sink our teeth into it scientifically. I actually, That's I actually understandable. Have, I actually have an interview tomorrow with somebody named, uh, Carter Bushhart, and uh, he has a book coming out. It's not out yet, but he sent me a copy of it, and it must have about fifty pictures of, of these stick structures. And, yeah, and I was like, like some of them to me just look like you know trees that have you know fallen and just kind of gotten stuck on each other, and others though, I can't explain. Oh, um. You know, there is one explanation, human, people. Yes. Yeah, of course. You know, it's, you know, something with an opposable thumb. So, you know, it takes a leap of faith to go from that is impossible for a human to have created mm -hmm. to that has to be a Sasquatch. So you, you literally, in order to take this any <clears throat> further, would have to have a witness watching a Sasquatch build one. Right. Yeah. And I think um, some Shane um, was saying this year, quite recently, you know, before everything hit the fan COVID wise, uh, he was out there with another gentleman in the forest and they came pretty close to witnessing something building a nest. Correct. Well, in, in the uh, documentary, there is some footage of of what looks like a Sasquatch sort of squatting down next to a tree like it's trying to build something. Yeah, I think you're referring to the skunk ape uh, that was from Mississippi. Yeah, um, Mississippi, that, yeah. Yeah, so that um, looks like it's a swamp, 
mm-hmm. that it's standing in and it's trying to get at something that's in a um rotten stump uh tree stump yeah, yeah. it's kind of reaching in it's breaking out pieces uh that's a really cool piece of footage and um you know uh it almost looks like a gorilla like a silverback gorilla that's yeah. just chilling in a swamp you know and that and to fits- me that that looks that creature looks like it's not building something but um Breaking trying in. to get at maybe a a um a, a creature that's inside the stump if yeah. you will um it's i don't know what specifically it's looking for but that seems to be in my opinion what it's doing rather than constructing something yeah i agree with you on that or maybe it found maybe it found like a beehive or something like that right. i was trying to get a honeycomb you never right. know exactly yeah i mean being in mississippi i mean that actually could be a gorilla yeah because i live right near mississippi i'm like maybe 10 minutes away from it and, and people have kangaroos and all kinds of weird shit <laughs> a gorilla yeah, I don't know if that would be very past people in Mississippi okay. have a gorilla. All right. <laughs> how did how did it how did it get here from Africa? In, 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 you know, like like in Mississippi and Louisiana, there's uh, tons and tons of like these dogman reports. And uh, I had another Bigfoot researcher on, and he goes, you know, dogman sounds an awful lot like a kangaroo. And I thought about, it, I said, believe it or not. I work with a guy who has pet kangaroos. They have that kind of stuff here. Yeah. How they get it, I have no idea. That's possible. Um, I I kind of connect um, dogman sightings with something misidentified. Uh, I've, I've said before that I think maybe people that do have a Bigfoot encounter um, – see it move in such a manner that that it perplexes their mind and they connect that with something like a dog because it has been reported on multiple occasions that they that people have seen a bigfoot run on all fours and if you think about somebody seeing a dog man they may have seen it on all fours scaling you know a cliffside uh or running you know, low so that you can't see it behind a bush, mm-hmm. that, that type of, uh, behavior and, and that frightens people and, and makes them think, Oh, did I just see a dog or did I see something more humanoid? Um, and they say, okay, I'm going to say it's both dog man. And, uh, and, you know, it, maybe, maybe there is some credibility to these dog man sightings, but if you Look for videos of credible dogman sightings. I guarantee you, you're going to find 100% computer-generated right. imagery. You know, CGI graphics. Mm-hmm. Um, the best footage that's out there for Bigfoot or Sasquatch does not look like a dog, and it doesn't look like a human. It looks like its own creature. So. Um, that's what I'd say about dog man. I'm not going to go any further until somebody shows me something more convincing. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I think I'm kind of, I'm kind of on the uh, kangaroo theory because I know people have them here and, and sure. kangaroos are aggressive and 
Remember, the reports of Dogman are, are him being sort of aggressive, especially towards cars, which is actually, I think, kangaroo behavior. True. Um, I guess you'd have to catch them at night, mm-hmm. and you'd probably have to see them not – you'd have to – ignore the fact that they're hopping when they're kicking your car and uh you know and you'd have to be completely ignorant to the fact that their uh fur is blonde it's like a you know um khaki colored so i mean mm. i lived in australia for 2 years mm. and there's two types of there's multiple types of re- of kangaroos but none of them are dark none are dark brown none are um black um, what if they've been living in the swamp for a while so they're just covered in in dirt i guess yeah. you're saying yeah mud a dirty a dirty crazy raccoon you come across is pissed <laughs> off it's on the wrong continent yep. it's like who put me here yep there's nothing well, worse than a dirty angry kangaroo in mississippi for for my two cents, the um, I, I listen to people that have dogman stories. I don't uh, try to discount them or um, challenge them. Uh, they saw what they saw. They mm-hmm. reported what they saw. Um, now, there is one feature that I saw in a photograph, and you may may come to mind. But the muzzle that I saw on the creature reminded me of a baboon. So what if we're talking about some um, form of um, primate that is has more of a baboonish face, which would give it a dogman appearance? Yeah, it may have a protruding snout, um, right. like right. a protruding jaw and snout. Instead of it being because they're like talking a, about the, these creatures having hands and feet, mm-hmm. so um, if it's got some sort of a muzzle-ish appearance, that's going to make you think of uh, of a dog. Yeah, I, I know I've seen a picture of a skunk ape in Florida that looked a lot like a baboon to me. Yeah, that looked like an orangutan. I yeah, know the picture yeah, you're yeah, talking yeah, about. Orangutan. Yeah, an orangutan. It's kind of smiling in in the picture. It's yeah. night shot, right? Mm-hmm. And its eyes are shining. It ain't yeah. smiling. <laughs> yeah, it's not. It's not. When smiling. it bears its teeth, it ain't smiling. <laughs> yeah, that's the bat. That's the chimpanzee smile. Yeah, it means, yeah. it means you're gonna be bitten. Yep. But um, Back no, off. I I think that picture um definitely exemplifies the point that you were saying before Gary uh, the fact that some people have exotic animals in North America Um, I have heard in Florida that people have lost track or uh, private zoos have been shut down and um, they possibly had orangutan and chimpanzees so I have heard about that. Um, does that mean that skunk apes are literally chimpanzees that are lost in the in the swamps? I don't know, but um, I think it's more common for people that are uh, reporting the 
skunk ape sightings to be more of a, a Sasquatch that's right. adapted to warmer weather, um, but still lives in the, uh, you know, the, the swamps rather than where people live. Mm -hmm. And, and, and if you think about a Sasquatch or a, a Bigfoot, they're commonly reported to be in wilderness areas of British Columbia, Alberta, Northern California, Washington State, Oregon, you know, even Idaho, Northern Idaho and Utah. It's everywhere that there, there seems to be large forest area that could be more untouched by people. Um, it's perfect, uh, perfect niche for these things to exist. Absolutely. Uh, you know, and, and I, I, I agree that like, you know, some, some of the, uh, explanations don't explain everything. Uh, I think sometimes they explain some things, but not all of it. Um, you know, and, and then of course, like there's, you know, hoaxers, which like, remember like that guy who put the, uh, gorilla costume in the freezer and said he killed a Bigfoot. Yeah, and there's also a sad story, and I think it was 2014, um, a hoaxer was wearing a gorilla suit on the edge of a highway trying to, um, I guess, make some fake video, and he got hit and killed. So this hoaxing is real. It does happen. Um but there's obvious signs of a hoax, mm -hmm. you know, whenever a hoax happens, it comes out pretty much right away that it was faked. You know, uh, when you see a wood stomper or like a, a fake foot impression, it's pretty obvious that it's not a, a working anatomical foot mm -hmm. when they make a cast of this. And a hoaxer is usually only going to hoax for, you know, a small duration of time, people follow some of these uh, tracks that have been, you know, followed from investigators after a sighting by somebody that go into the forest for, you know, 500 feet or longer, you know, a mile. And people just give up on following the prints uh, because they are tired or aren't interested in losing track of civilization. So um, I think there's definitely hoaxers out there, but they're, you know, the credible cases always prove themselves pretty quickly. Right. Uh, in the documentary, there is footage, which I, this one I had seen before, which was, I think it was a hunter. And, uh, and, and the Squatch definitely has a neck. Oh yes, and, 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 that, and that one, like when I first saw it, you know, before I even saw it, your documentary, the first time I saw it, I said, "That just doesn't look real." Yeah, yeah. So um, that's uh, that's what we say in the documentary. Yeah. We even say, like, you know, we reached out to uh, Tim. Uh, what's his name? Do you know who that? Do you know who we're talking about here, Dave? David? It's uh, Tim. He has Asano? like. A he has a hunting channel on uh, YouTube and 
he has this like he was bow hunting footage of some sasquatch but he said oh, it's uh, i think i i i think i know um and it's just a, a, a almost too brief i mean it was so quick it's hard to tell even what you're looking at yeah yeah it'll come to me uh anyways tim i reached out to him he said it's real as real can be yes um and you know it it obviously is <laughs> not real but um that's the thing you know you've got and if you look at when that video came out before he made that bigfoot video um there was probably maybe a few subscribers he had on youtube and such and then he released that bigfoot video and became you know a sensation and uh his name's tim wells sorry and on youtube he has 635,000 subscribers uh and most of his videos involve blowing the heads off of wild turkeys and shooting arrows into other helpless animals um while they're walking around the forest a couple raccoons have seen him whack uh he's even been to africa and killed some big game big game um but that's the thing i mean if you have a bigfoot tail sometimes it sells the other things you want to do in life. And um, that's what hurts the subject is that it may end up uh, that some of these people out there are actually, they're looking for fame and they're trying to attract attention to themselves rather than um, providing real information that, that identifies the existence of a, of a interesting character or creature. Yeah. 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 It, it, it's a shame. That's a, a real bummer. I, I think when people do that, <laughs> you know, it should almost be illegal. Well, I mean, everybody's has the freedom to do what they want. You it's know, true. this yeah. happens in the UFO subject as well if that right? bothers got, me also <laughs> you've got people that bad ufo videos and not even bad ufo videos it's people that say they've been abducted mm -hmm. and meanwhile you know they're probably trying to skip uh jail or some kind of uh make up some weird alibi for themselves you know it's, it's all there's all kinds of circumstances for why people want to attract attention to themselves uh but um yeah, UFOs that's chock full of real information, uh, noise, and disinformation. Mm -hmm. Do you think there's a connection between Bigfoots and UFOs? Um, I, I think there is to a degree. I think that there's been too many sightings where people have seen sasquatch at the same time they've seen ufos orbs or craft um you know above ridge lines or tree lines and stuff like that um perhaps the ufos are as curious about these creatures as we are you know um we know that ufos or it's been discussed that ufos and these 
uh, occupants perhaps are interested in human beings and what we're doing on this planet. Um, and if you think about, hey, the Tic Tac video right. that's super famous right now, what was it doing when these aircraft uh, personnel, these fighter pilots went out to record those videos? They all report that it was hovering around the ocean and the ocean seemed to be bubbling. There seemed to be some sort of turbulence in the actual water where it was um, scanning back and forth, hovering. And once the aircraft were swooping down to take a quicker, a closer look at it, the Tic Tac flew away from the ocean surface. Um, so why was it interested in the ocean? Was it interested in the ocean because it was observing some um, ocean life that was that was there? Some people may say that it was coming from a base. I don't know. But uh, it's possible that UFOs are interested in Sasquatch too, just like they're interested in humans. Um. I had interviewed a guy. He, he's a, a, a first station um, from Canada, Vancouver. And he was telling me about his tribe's lore on Bigfoot. And it was that um, at, at the, there's a tribe of, of Native Americans living there. And... Uh, you know, things, you know, civilization started moving in, you know, people started, you know, becoming more civilized, more advanced. And at some point he said that, that one of the chiefs in the tribe said, you know what, this is a bad idea. And I'm going to go live out in nature with no clothes, you know, no, no technology, no tools, and, and, and just do our own thing. And they became, you know, like the wild men. Um, I don't know if just living in the bush and, and the forest will turn you into a ape, but, uh, I'm pretty sure it doesn't. Um, I like the theory that native Americans knew of these creatures and respected them. Um, and they had a connection with them, uh, just like they have a connection with the earth and the forest. Um, and at one time, maybe they communicated with these tribes of, uh, hominids that, that exist in the forest. It's possible that, um, native Americans, indigenous peoples of North America decided to separate from them. Um, but I don't know if there's any evidence that, you know, uh, these indigenous people just decided to turn into Sasquatch, you know? Right. You know, what I find interesting is that uh, every tribe um, in, well, in my neck of the woods uh, in, of the Salish region uh, of which there were many tribes, they all had uh, stories of the Sasquatch they all recognized its existence. Um, so each individual tribe would have their 
stories uh, pertinent to their culture and how they viewed the Sasquatch. So if you go from one tribe to the next, you'll get a little variation, but essentially the same thing, is, uh, they're talking about the same thing, the same creature. So uh, to me, that, um, that that's not a myth when all different tribes have names, have uh, stories, and uh, can talk about it as a real creature. Um, that, that to me gives it probably the most credence um, that it's out there. Right. Uh, so it's not something that we just kind of came upon here and, and made it popular from like 1958. Mm -hmm. um, no, no, the, these stories were uh, inherent in the, in the area, in the, the Native American tribes. It's been here. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, the, the lore goes way, way back. And um, like, like one of the things that, that, like when you brought up like that fish story about the, you know, the, the him just coming along and just taking the fish, it reminds me, reminded me of like some of the gifting traditions that the Native Americans had with, with the Bigfoots. Or they would leave a gift and Scott might leave some rocks for, and take an apple. Yeah, no, gifting is is a thing. I think that that's definitely real. And, um, you know, perhaps that Sasquatch mistook this hanging line of fish from this mm -hmm. uh, Caucasian couple as a gift. Yep. And um, <laughs> it's, it's possible that he wanted to take that gift because he was hungry. Yeah. But, um, but gifting, I think, is very credible. Um, it's, you know, very often people state that they live on the periphery. They may live in rural areas and they start seeing food go missing around their farm that is not edible to coyotes and, and such, you know, like apples and uh, orchards that get ransacked and such, um, in my first documentary, we cover the Ruby Creek incident at the Chapman farm. Um, this is the unwanted Sasquatch. I'll send you the link to that, yeah, Gary, if you want definitely. to check it out. But um, basically, uh, the Chapman farm was raided by uh, a Sasquatch, and Mrs. Chapman grabbed her children and ran ran away because this thing was traipsing across her property, and she didn't want to see it up close once she saw what it really was um and when they came back to the property they found her potato patch was ripped up um it had eaten some potatoes it broke it broke a bough that had um in a lean-to beside the house they it had uh dried salted fish and it ate some of the fish and they followed the prince to the river after that a stream that uh, ran beside the property and it looked like it had a drink. So obviously it didn't like that much salt in its mouth. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and then, then it took a, a walk to the other side of the property, stepped one foot over the fence. That's all it took for it to get over this five foot fence. And um, it, it proceeded to climb a, a, a ridge and, and was gone. 
but uh, these men that were working on a railroad nearby where uh, Mrs. Chapman's husband was part of this, this gang, um, they, you know, came back to the property and they testified to seeing all these prints and seeing the evidence of this thing ransacking the property for food. So, uh, yeah, I think gifting um, can work if they're interested in the same sort of food we can offer. Food like fruit, meat, um, they're omnivores mm -hmm. by, by all accounts, if we are. Right. Um, it, it, it seems to be really common, like, like again, with, with, with the First Nation. It's almost like they have sort of like an agreement, like, you know, we'll gift you some food as long as uh, you don't like kind of raid my camp. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. That does make sense. Kind of like saying uh, you respect us, we'll respect you. Yeah. And here's some gifts, Santa. Yeah. It, it, I wonder, too, you know, back to the chatter. Maybe they picked it up from, you know, First Nation. Well, I think learned behavior would come within their own sort of tribe you know mm -hmm. it would come within um the other creatures that they're interacting with in the wild um so you know my theory i think dr meldrum's theory would be that uh vocalizations and any behavior that they're exhibiting is not from us it's it's most likely stuff that they've passed to each other i would agree with that so maybe they could have even gotten over from like birds. Well, maybe. communication is essential uh, for any kind of a, um, a cultural group and, you know, to pass on information. Yeah, definitely. Um, so have either of you ever had a Bigfoot encounter? David, I think you'll take this one. <laughs> okay. Um, well, I've had Bigfoot in my psyche since I was very small. My uh, grandfather uh, had an 80-acre farm near Battleground, Washington. And uh, this was back in the 40s, 50s era, somewhere in there. Um, the story that I heard, uh, I can remember somewhere between five and six years old, but what he told us was one day he was out uh, on his tractor cutting hay to, to be uh, put up for the season. He was cutting the hay and all of a sudden a five foot tall monkey jumped up in front of him and ran across the field, uh, hopped the fence and went into the woods. And so Grandpa, where did this monkey come from? Well, I don't know. Must have escaped from the circus. Well, Grandpa, was there a circus in town or was there a circus around? Well, no, but, um, and then he really didn't want to answer too much after that. <laughs> <laughs> but um, a five foot tall monkey running on two, two legs. Um, doesn't take a, a rocket science to figure out what that was. Right. Um, 
Uh, fast forward, I'm now 11 years old. We lived about five miles south in a rural area uh, near my grandfather's farm. Um, and we had this uh, play field that we would go to. It was literally a cow pasture, 40 acre cow pasture that was um, at one point in time, it was an old growth forest and it had been logged. So uh, it was logged using the old spring and buckboard method. So it left these tall edifices in the field and we called it the stump field. Well, it was just this great crazy place to go to because you know things live there and uh, you know snakes and lizards and um, <laughs> we'd find owl pellets and wonder what the heck was that was and anyway it was just a great place of discovery well one day a, a group of us were were uh in the field and i noticed that the cows um were kind of congregating down into one corner uh, and away from us and i thought well that's good at least we don't have to worry about the cows so um, we were marching across from one side of the um, field to the other and we got uh, to the other fence line and uh, it, the underbrush on the other side of the fence was just thick you could not really see into it um, but there were alder trees and maple trees and fir trees and it was just this dense jungle on the other side of the fence well um, one of the guys that I was with picked up a stick and for whatever reason he hit it on he struck a branch that was overhanging into the field uh, with with a stick and all of a sudden um, I noticed that the fairly large size diameter alder trees were swaying like they were being manipulated and it wasn't windy but they were you know shaking vigorously and then the next thing I saw was um, limbs being ripped off of the tree at about 12 to 15 feet in the air and I'm again I'm just aghast at what I'm I'm looking at it doesn't make any sense and then whatever this creature was um, that we could not see uh, cut loose with a scream that I later described to my parents that sounded like a lion roaring and an uh, elephant trumpet at the same time. In other words, it was two sounds. The vocalization was a, a harmonic, if you will, of uh, a, a very low sound and a very high sound. And it lasted for about 12, 10 to 12 seconds, uh, a long time. And I, I, I can remember kind of coming to, so I fell down or I was <laughs> a knockdown in fright and I noticed that everybody else was on the ground. And the next thing I said was, run! <laughs> <laughs> so we did. We left the field. Well, the, the, the second part of this story that's interesting is uh, after explaining to my parents what had happened, they, they, they believed me, but there's not much they could do since you know we, we had left the, the field. But uh, the next week, uh, we had a library class where uh, we would uh, learn how to use the library. So the, the class would, would, would go into this library in the elementary school and um, we would learn how, you know, the, the Dewey Decimal System worked and whatnot. And uh, the teacher always started out the class with 
uh, a kind of a show and tell, or did anybody ha have something interesting happen to them over the weekend? And the, and the game was, you know, once she would learn what we were interested in, she could then kind of funnel us towards books that we might actually read. So um, uh, I told my story and um, later on, maybe 30 minutes later when everybody's reading their book, I feel a tap on my shoulder and it's librarian and she's saying, uh, David, could you come with me for a second? So I went with her and she was really interested in what the story that I told. And she started asking all kinds of pertinent questions, you know, uh, had I ever heard anything like that before? Do you, do you think maybe you really didn't see something or you did see something? And she just was very interested in it. And then she said, you know, I, I have an adult book, but I think it might help you understand what happened. And I said, okay. And she said, um, the name of the, the book is Abominable Snowman, Legend Come to Life, written by Ivan T. Sanderson. And if that name's not familiar to you, he's the gentleman that broke the Patterson-Gimlin film in Argosy mm -hmm. Magazine. And um, so I did. I got, got the book and I read it. And it, um, I, it became clear to me <laughs> after reading the book what, what she was trying to tell me with, in so many words is that maybe I had an experience with a, a Sasquatch. Wow. So that was, uh, that was my kind of what got me interested in the subject over the years. Um, and uh, I, I'm back at it. Was that how knocked you over? Do you think there's anything to the um, infrasound theory? I do. Yeah, I think that um, there is something to that. But, you know, it, again, it's back to science being able to prove it. Mm -hmm. um, you can record infrasound, but being you, you have to tie it to the to the Bigfoots, you know. So how do you do that? Because infrasound is present um, all the time. So, you know, it, it can be a stretch for science to say, you know, without a doubt that came from, um, you know, some creature rather than some mechanical sound or some, um, you know, the earth uh, creating, creating some, some infrasound. So, yeah, I do, I do believe um, that some of the things that people have uh, felt um, and I think I might be one of them, um, can create all kinds of, uh, interesting reactions. Um, the reaction that I had, um, well, if you indulge me, uh, one more story. Yes. Um, uh, I was working for the U S forest service at the time and, uh, we were cutting trail, uh, near Mount St. Helens. Do you know where that is? I've never been there, but yeah, I know where it's at. And do you familiar with the lore around Mount St. Helens? Yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So at, at the time, I wasn't thinking of that at all. But um, we were cutting a, a, a new trail, and I was uh, a brush cutter, so I had a chainsaw, and I had you know somebody fifty yards to my right and somebody fifty yards to my left. Um, you know, we could all see each other, 
but uh, I, I got, it was like somebody had flicked a switch and all of a sudden I was deathly afraid um, in a fear state that I have, um, I, I, ha I only felt one other time and it was related to the same scenario, but uh, it is like fear on steroids. Um, it is unbelievable. And I had this thought that I needed to chuck my chainsaw and run for the hills. But I just stood my ground because I'm I wasn't about to lose my job <laughs> over this irrational fear that something uh, bad was going to happen, uh, or something was um, you know I was a, in extreme danger. You know I was holding a chainsaw for crying out loud. There's there's nothing that I should have been afraid of. Uh, I should have been able to defend myself from anything. But I was in a panic situation. And it lasted maybe 90 seconds. And then as fast as it came on, boom, it was gone. So that's kind of like something I can imagine now, something producing infrasound to uh, induce that fear scenario, stopping the infrasound, and I went back to normal. I, I hadn't a care in the world. I wasn't, I wasn't afraid of nothing. So it was very, very strange. It's possible. Strange. It's possible too that um, you were having um, sort of a sixth sense. Some people believe that. Uh, well, Rupert Sheldrake is a social psychologist that uh, proved that we all can. We all have a very innate ability to have a, a very subliminal psychic um effect you Meaning, know like, I, I can i can understand that um darcy and i agree that that can be a, an explanation but i can tell you that this was not an internal process um i, I was sensing something so it was a, an external i was reacting to an external force sure if that, but if that makes any sense yeah um, sensing you're being looked at is is an external force. So if you're walking around a mall or you're in a public place and there's many people, have you ever had that uh, feeling that you're being watched and you look up or you look behind you and you directly connect eyes with that person that's been staring at you? Have you ever yeah. had that happen in your life? Sure. Rupert, Rupert Sheldrake proved that that is a innate psychic ability that all humans have it's a very subliminal one it's a small one right perhaps mm -hmm. there's people out there that have an advanced psychic ability that's beyond this but um perhaps you were reacting to being gazed upon by something you you were having a physical reaction to something that was like a predator you know yeah, I wish I could say that it was just a, you know, a, a sense of fear from being gazed at. This was, I'm going to die. Wow. Um, Did you feel any it's type way, of It was, like I said, it was, it was uh, fear on steroids. And I know fear. I've been afraid. I've been in circumstances where things are, you know, really, really tense. Um, but this was way beyond that. 
and I, until you have actually experienced it, I think I'm just talking words here. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's it's. I I think it happened to you. It would just be interesting to figure out how it happened to you and and where that was being projected from. Right, right. Well, I had an idea of where it was being projected from. There was a, you know what a glacial erratic is? No. Um, it's a huge uh, stone created by, um, you know, the as glaciers move through a, a rocky area, they'll, as they recede, they'll deposit the rocks that they've been scraping off of the, um, the area. And so in this particular circumstance, the erratic was about 40 feet long and maybe 20 feet high. It was huge. Wow. And my fear, my sensation, I could not take my eyes off that glacial erratic. Whatever it was that was causing this was there. But I, I did not see it, did not hear it. At the time, I just um, figured that had to have been a cougar doing exactly what you said, Darcy, you know, staring at me, and I was tuned into that. That's what my explanation at the time was. What I'm saying now is that um, now that I've heard other people talk about infrasound scenarios, it's very similar to what I went through. I'm just saying it's possible that I experienced that. Totally. Wow. Did you feel anything like like did you feel any type of vibration or like did the hair on your back of your neck raise up or all of the above and wanting to vomit wanting to <laughs> it it was uh, you know what an adrenaline rush is oh yeah you've you've experienced that well it was ten times that of an adrenaline rush it was it was awful. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so with the Olympic project, can you give my listeners a little bit of a background on the Olympic project and how it got started in, in its purpose? Sure. Um, the Olympic project was started by um, Derek Randalls and Rich Germo as a camera trap project. Um, they uh, had a notion that Sasquatch we're traveling the ridge lines of the Olympics mountains in the state of Washington and basing that theory on locations where sightings had taken place. So um, in conversation with uh, Wally Hersom, who is also a, a member and our benefactor that enabled us to get started and what he did was provide the Olympic project with, I think, somewhere between 50 and 60 um, uh, trail cams, which um, uh, Derek and Rich and, and uh, 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 the original group of the Olympic project got started um, putting those camera traps to, to use along those ridge lines. And through theft, through um, discovering that the um, US Forest Service frowns <laughs> on uh, putting uh, <laughs> trail cams in their um, purview without their knowledge, they, they frowned on that. 
um, so we ended up um, kind of going a, a little bit different direction. And that's, I, I got involved with, uh, with Derek and Rich um, because at the, at the time in 2010, I was working with a witness that had collected some hair and uh, the Olympic project had been contacted by, um, I believe it was Melba Ketchum at that time who was doing a DNA project and we provided some hair samples to her. And that's, a, uh, that's how I got started with the Olympic project. Um, and uh, Derek and I hit it off pretty well and uh, very well actually. And uh, I've, I've been with the Olympic project ever since. We've uh, kind of steered it into a direction now where we are um, really a collection of like-minded researchers that are trying to vet evidence. We're really actually trying to disprove the theory that Sasquatch are walking the woods. Uh, and what, by that, I mean, when we find some evidence, we assume it is, um, you know, if I, like if it was a trackway, we assume that it was laid by a bear. So we do everything to prove that it was a bear. And we, when we, we cannot, when we find that it actually uh, doesn't fit the scenario of, of a bear trackway or bear impressions after we cast and we discover it, no, that's not a double imprint, then you know, you can rule out a bear. So if it's not a bear, then we'll enter something else. And then when you eliminate um, that something else, then you you keep going in that direction until you end up with, we don't know what it is, but we have a hypothesis what that is. Mm -hmm. And then the hypothesis stands until you can refute it. And that is called uh, the null hypothesis. So that's how science works. You don't prove the existence of Bigfoot, you disprove the existence of Bigfoot. And what you do is you uh, start eliminating all of the knowns. And when all of the, the knowns are eliminated, then what, you know, what is it? It's, well, it's something else, but it ain't what we know. So, so, so what are some of the best unknowns that you found? Um, well, everything is still in the, yeah, in the unknown category. I, I, I have been working towards the, the sound end of it. Um, you know, and, and what I do is I disprove that it's what common sounds, you know, the, they're not an owl. Uh, the sounds are not coyote. They're not dog. They're, they're not uh, bobcat. They're not, you know, so we just go through, keep going through the list. Um, so probably my sounds, we have uh, collected foot impressions that uh, Dr. Mel Meldrum likes. We have collected hand uh, impressions. So there, there's lots of different things um, and they're all physical evidence, which means that to us that we're dealing with something in the physical realm, um, if, if that makes sense. Yeah. Interesting. Um, what is like, like this is sort of for both of you. Do either of you have a favorite piece of footage or favorite uh, piece of Bigfoot evidence that you've heard about or seen? Um, 
that really has you that that just can't be argued. Like like you're a hundred percent sure. Yeah, the Patterson Gimlin film. <laughs> you know, you? have you uh do you know who Bill Munns is? No. Um do yourself a favor and do an information search on Bill Munns. Okay. He has, without a doubt, and, and he's got a, a scientific research paper behind it, but Bill Munns is a um, movie, um, uh, well, he creates costumes. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, I did see this. I, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. He, uh -huh. he created the creature in the Black yeah. Lagoon. Yep. So he is, he is, uh, and, and he's got uh, tons of information. He's got a web page, um, but he has gone through the, um, the Patterson Gimlin film and he did just exactly the null hypothesis. He uh, assumed this was fake, it was hoax, and he was gonna prove exactly how it was done. And he said that he was foiled at every turn. And he goes through how it, it was impossible, the critical materials to make what he saw in, in, in the film analysis uh, was not available in mm -hmm. 1967. And, you know, it's still not available today, to be honest with you. I mean, there are, are certain aspects that you could do, but most of them you cannot. Um, so do yourself a favor and look up Bill Munns, and you will understand why I said that he uh, thoroughly vetted the Patterson Gimlin film, one hundred percent. Yeah, I have actually seen that. I just didn't remember the guy's name, um, but I, I have to agree that is my favorite piece of evidence as well. How about you, Darcy? Um. Yeah, I really I. I think the Patterson Gimlin film is pretty irrefutable. Um, I remember when I was first making uh, the un unwanted Sasquatch, the first title for that film was going to be the last Sasquatch. And I found later on that somebody had made a really bad horror movie called the last Sasquatch. So I couldn't, couldn't do that. So I went with a really wacky name anyways, but um, I, I kind of was going to theorize at one point that that was the last very credible sighting and provable sighting that we saw of a Sasquatch, Bigfoot, humanoid, like hominid, ape-like creature. And obviously I've done tons of more research since then and um, can't be the last because people are still having sightings and interactions to this day. But um, other videos that I really liked, um, I think the, the name is escaping me, but um, there's uh, an individual that saw Two had two Sasquatch sightings, um, and he, there's a a recording of him. I can't remember his name, uh, and he goes, "Oh, there he goes!" And uh, you see it kind of walk across a path, swaying its arms, shaking its head, and then it 
stops, looks at him, and then goes into the forest. Mm-hmm. Um, trying to think of that footage, what it's called, but that that's a really good one. Uh, and there was plenty of tracks and, and a hair sample that came from that. Um, trying to think what else. Well, um, there's even if there's not video, there's the best accounts I can think of are, let's say, the Chapman uh, farm mm-hmm. sighting that I I discussed earlier. You know, that had hundreds of prints. Uh, they took castings. The police were involved. You know, it's in the historical record uh, as far as the police in that area of British Columbia is concerned. Um, and there's pictures of the farm and uh, Gustav Tifting, who was part of the um, the railroad gang that was building that, uh, that was pulled to the farm to help the distressed Mrs. Chapman. Um, he lived to tell his story to CBC News with the help of uh, John Green, who's now passed. Mm -hmm. And John Green ran the newspaper that originally published the article about this uh, event, this sighting and what happened to this family. So yeah, I don't think you need video all the time. I think you can go on um, testimony of really credible people. Darcy, you were thinking of the Paul Freeman footage. Paul Freeman, yes, Paul Freeman. That is, what do you think of that footage, Dave? Oh, I like it. Yeah, it seems to, um, the creature in that video moves very similar to Patty and um, everything that he witnessed around that footage um, seems to point to being credible, you know? Right. <laughs> well, I think uh, Dr. Meldrum has validated his work as far as the, the foot impressions that he collected over time. So um, that to me actually helps lend a lot of credence. There are, you know, uh, there are folks that think that uh, he might have hoaxed this, but I, I just don't see uh, it in the film either. Um, the, the size of the creature is too, too large to hoax. Yeah. Yeah, it's exactly. Uh, I've heard even, uh, my friend Thomas Steenberg says, you know, there's reports, people that were working with Paul Freeman up in that area of the country. Um, they said his mind was zeroed in on, the Bigfoot theory well before that video came about, but that's just hearsay. There's no sure. proving proving that. Well, I, I think Thomas um, is along the lines of Renee DeHinden and Renee didn't think too much of Paul. <laughs> so yeah, and he was actually friends with Renee DeHinden. I'm right, sure. Right. Yeah. That's that's so I I can definitely understand his opinion or, or why Thomas would have that opinion. Yeah. Um, do you think that the uh, government already knows that Bigfoot exists and is hiding it for some reason? What do you Oof. think, Dave? 
that's conspiracy theory 101 mm-hmm. <laughs> it is I, but but I, I, to me there's so much evidence of the existence of this creature but well, but this I, lack I, of acknowledgement coming from the scientific community i think the lack of acknowledgement is to me more frustrating along the lines of the scientific community it, it just it doesn't care for the stigma um dr john bendernagel um bigfoot uh researcher and acclaimed biologist he was so frustrated with the fact that um in his opinion he stated that we've proven the existence of bigfoot what he could not understand is why science will not take uh, a logical look at all of the facts at all of the evidence even even Dr. Meldrum has got some incredible things. Uh, take the Bill Munns, um, again, going back to the Patterson-Gemlin film, as, I mean, the evidence is there, but the lack of, um, or the de- lack of desire to get into this um, medium is uh, is frustrating. It is, and um, maybe that is what, creates the conspiracy theories uh, correct the fact that there there is no acknowledgement from the um, mainstream scientific community right well but there could know, be there could be credibility to some of those conspiracy theories as well and I've well, mentioned my own thoughts on that in the past you're, you're thinking the forestry yeah just a little bit of that maybe um, that could be a factor. Well, it seems to me that um, if if there is a desire to to shut the forest down, the fastest way to do that is to prove the existence of Bigfoot, and they haven't done that. So, yeah, that's true. Uh, maybe we just need Greenpeace to get on our side. <laughs> so, what do you think happens? What will happen when um, Bigfoot is proven? In the scientific Ooh. community, do you think it'll become like an endangered species? Um, do you think people will start trying to hunt them? Um, no, I don't think that they will be allowed to hunt them. That's my opinion. But what could happen is that you'll need a permit to do anything in the woods um, to, the, to the point where it would be just too expensive to go into the woods. Yeah, I mean, if you look at... Um any wildlife protected areas, they become shut down. They become nature reserves and only parts of them are, um, you know, so, uh, places that you can legally visit. Some nature reserves are off limits. Um, and that is for the betterment of the survival of the species that lives in that area. Um, if, a, if an animal is going extinct, you don't want to disturb its habitat. And if they decide, hey, this animal exists and it may be, you know, close to extinction, extinction because we don't, we don't know what its total numbers are and yada, 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 they would have to lock down, so to speak, that part of wilderness and, and they don't want us to go there, which messes with industry, but also messes with people's freedom to, um, 
traipse around any rainforest they want to, right? Yep. I don't know if our government has that type of altruistic attitude. Probably not. I mean, that's why I would, I would, I would lean towards them protecting industry over protecting animals. So, do you think that's why they haven't acknowledged it? Is because the because it would mess up the logging industry and whatever other things they can pillage? It's um, well, yeah. I, personally, I'm not of the um, of the conspiracy theory opinion that that they that they are doing that. Um, I don't know. I don't think you could hide. Um, their existence there's just too many people that know otherwise yeah i mean it's just the acknowledgement part that that gets people you know if you look at um another cryptid the giant squid mm -hmm. that was considered to be a you know kraken or a, <laughs> a monster that yeah. was a figment of the imagination of of sailors and um ocean going folks um but as time went on and we found more and more evidence of its existence through trace evidence um which included body parts that were washing up with whales inside of their stomachs and eventual whole bodies and then in 2016 off the coast of uh, japan uh, uh close to chichi island a discovery channel team of researchers did a deep sea submersive uh, camera expedition and they they actually used a different type of um, light technology they used infrared light underwater because they noticed whenever they went down to this area of the ocean um, and they used normal lights on the submersible. They weren't able to um, coax this creature to make itself uh, visible. But the 26-foot giant squid appeared on camera when they used a infrared uh, light. And one of its eyes is the size of, you know, almost bigger than a dinner plate. <laughs> just one of their eyes this big blue iris and it's it's quite incredible footage you can look it up on yeah. online pretty easily so what i'm just trying to say there is we have trace evidence of this these creatures existing it's plentiful we have eyewitness testimony that's in the thousands internationally and we have historical record of relic hominids that did exist we have fossil record um and then we have video <laughs> we have video <laughs> and pictures so why is it that the giant squid gets acknowledged but this doesn't it just seems unfair to me and that's where people go with the conspiracy theories that there's some some greater truth there that's being held from us i don't know um, if that's true, I ponder that question. 
Um, but, you know, UFOs have slowly become more mainstream over the years. It's possible that Bigfoot, Sasquatch, and these other relic hominids from around the world slowly may become mainstream over the years. You never know. Right. Yeah, oh, definitely. We're, we're learning new things all the time. And, 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 and slowly, it seems like we're, we're finding out, or, or at least like the government anyway, is admitting certain things that, that, that people have already known. Um, definitely. Um, so this sure. has been a pleasure talking to you guys. Thank you so much for coming on tonight. Thank you, Gary. My pleasure. It's been great. And uh, where can my listeners find you? Uh, for me, you can check me out on Facebook. I've just, you know, by the same name, Darcy Weir. Um, I'm on Instagram. And uh, you can also check out my website, occultjourneys.com. Um, and Sasquatch Among Wildmen, The Unwanted Sasquatch beyond the spectrum and a whole bunch of other UFO documentaries are coming out. Uh, you can find those on Amazon prime to TV. Some of them, uh, iTunes, YouTube, red Google play to name, to name a few. And, uh, I hope people enjoy them and like my angle that I sort of, uh, show yeah. on, on, on this research field. I mean, the the one that I watched was fantastic. It was amazing. I really enjoyed it. Thanks, Ben. Really and, appreciate it. And, your and I'm going to post links too in the notes of this episode to to all of this, to all your That's cool. all your work. So when my listeners listen to it, they can go in and they can just go to the links and, and check you out and, and watch your documentaries. And amazing. Uh, how, how about you, David? Um, I can be. Uh, reached at the olympicproject.com, uh, spelled O-L-Y-M-P-I-C, project, P-R-O-J-E-C-T.com. Um, I'm listed in the, the contacts. If you have a recording that you'd like for me to analyze or look at um, and find out if you've uh, recorded something known or unknown, I'll let you know. Um, and go through the process of, of that with you. Um, and if you're wondering how to record something, well, you can become familiar with your phone. Uh, usually uh, there's a, 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 a way to, to, to do recording. So become familiar with that. If you hear something strange, even if it's far away, if you hear it and the, it's captured by the phone, I have the ability to enhance audio that... Um, is uh, very minimal through uh, enhancing spectrograms. So I edit through that process. So if uh, you uh, want, uh, reach me at olympicproject.com. All right. Thank you. And I'll definitely post a link uh, to that also. Thank you. All right. Well, thanks for being on and uh, hang out for a moment. And I'm just going to play the outro. Thank you for listening to Everything Imaginable on KGRA Radio. You can reach Gary at everythingimaginable2020.com or email him at everythingimaginable2020 at gmail.com. He's also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. 
You can buy t-shirts, coffee mugs and other merchandise to support the costs of producing this podcast. Click on the merchandise link at the top of his page www.everythingimaginable2020.com Oh yes, I almost forgot. You can buy his book, Enlightenment Guaranteed. It's the only book on Zen that you'll ever need and it's on Amazon. It'll change your life because remember, everything that exists was first imagined. Hey, if you love what you listen to, don't forget, rate, review and subscribe.